Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Morris O'Keefe, and you're very welcome to this week's podcast, The Civil War Fought in Kerry Between the Irish Free State Soldiers and the Anti-Treaty Republican Army. You will hear testimonies recorded by Irish Life and Lore Oral History Archive from those involved on both sides of the conflict. They will recall the Civil War's worst atrocities, known as the Ballysidi Massacre and the bitter attack on the Scartine O'Connor brothers in Kenmare, and also the land agitation that was going on at that time. But we'll start with Reverend Ronald Blanner-Hassett remembering the landing at Fenet Pier on the 2nd of August 1922 when the National Army's Dublin Guard arrived with their commander Paddy Daly. The long march into Tralee and the taking of the town. I think all that I will tell you is quite genuine because... uh, I have experienced some incidents myself. I particularly remember the landing in Phoenix. All that time I wasn't living in Phoenix. But there was all sorts of rumours. There was rumours that there was a landing and that there was an invasion and Oh, all sorts of things that you could think of. Nobody knew anything. There was no communication. However, on this particular morning, I was going down to a dental appointment. And as I passed the police barracks, which at that time was held by the Republican forces, I saw a very decrepit-looking armoured car pulled into the gateway and they were filling it with petrol and there was all sorts of activities which weren't normal in the usual course of events. And I said to myself, this is no place for you, Roland. And uh, I was very relieved to give up the dental appointment And I got home as fast as I could. Um, From that on, you will probably know that uh, the Free State forces landed 
in Phoenix. Um, the pier, pier was supposed to be mined, and it was mined, but somebody sensibly withdrew the charges <laughs> before <laughs> the landing. With the result, of course, the, the mine never made off. And they had a, they had more or less a free run because there were only a few Republicans in the um, Coast Guard house up there. And they told discretion the better part of Ella, and they retreated. And the Free State came along, and and they had, I think it was an an 18-pounder. And on the way, they had no transport for the 18-pounder, but they borrowed or or took whatever you like. Uh, somebody's mare and she pulled it from Phoenix to Tralee. I suppose they abandoned the mare when they had finished her. I heard afterwards that the man who owned the mare went away to the Free State Army. And here Ronald recalls those frightening days when fighting was going on in Tralee town. I was living in Kaharina at the time. Nobody knew whether they were going to invade Tralee. Tralee at that time, you see, was held by the uh, Republican forces entirely. They ran the, the law and they ran everything. And the place was more or less beginning to settle down. And the Free State came along and there was tremendous questions whether the invasion of Tralee by the Free State would come in the direct road or whether they would do a kind of pincer movement and come down by Ballyvelly that was where I was living in actual fact they came straight in, uh, into Rock Street, I think. And there was fairly stiff opposition when they came into Rock, Rock Street. During that time, I was probably lying on the floor because you could hear the the firing going on. And I remember getting my dinner on the floor, too. <laughs> <laughs> And there was no information. Nobody knew anything. And it went on that way, at any rate, um, for quite a while. And I believe, I am told, that there was a sniper killed up in the Belfry. At all events, the fighting went backwards and forwards. There was no shops open, as you can imagine. 
a cart came from Listool and it was full of salmon and they were selling the salmon everywhere that they could get sale for it and of course everybody took the salmon here and there because you had you hadn't laid in any food and you didn't know when you were going to get more food. Thomas Lattery was a native of Tralee. His family's home was in Rock Street and that's where much of the fighting took place. He joined the Free State Army after the signing of the treaty with five other local IRA volunteers. They later became known as the Dandy Six. In July and August that year, he was on board a ship which landed in Tarbert in North Kerry, a stronghold of the anti-treaty side. His son, Tom Slattery, tells the story. The taking of the town of Tralee by the Free State Army, uh, there were 600 soldiers on, on that uh, Lady Wicklow that uh, came into Fiennet and the first casualty of that was outside at Sammy's Rock. Uh, and and uh, there were some more casualties in the spa, as far as I can remember. When they, they advanced up Tralee and the Free State Army took the town of Tralee, uh, there was a, a machine gun put in our house in Rock Street by the Free State Army to have control of uh, Pembroke Street and Rock Street at that particular time. But there was also a ship landed in Tarbert uh, to take secure the North Kerry section of the county. Uh, and my father happened to be uh, one of those people with... Um, uh, that's where the Dandy Six were formed, actually, and they were uh, Tom Slattery of Rock Street, Jack Flavin of Rock Street, uh, Harold Reed of uh, Motherwell, uh, uh, Mr. Lyons, whose son George Lyons was the surgeon, eventually, and Stephen Scannell, and a man called Billy Clifford. Local historian Paddy Breen. There was a major gun battle at the corner of Rock Street and uh, Pembroke Street. Uh, it's, the circumstances that gave rise to that was that uh, the Free State Army had landed in Phoenix and had fought their way in to, uh, into Tralee. And at the, the junction of Pembroke Street and Rock Street, uh, Free State Army was uh, planning to move down Rock Street, but there was a, a machine gun uh, mounted on top of the old Shamrock Mills. And uh, uh, I, I, to the best of my knowledge, I think about there were six uh, Free State soldiers uh, shot in uh, Rock Street. And uh, Eventually, I think a sergeant uh, in the Free State Army went out and took out the, uh, the machine gunner on the top of the old Shamrock Mills. And getting back to, uh, I'd be interested to you now, was this to, uh, 
uh, Keith's old store in Rock Street was where the soldiers were laid out pending their removal for burial in Dublin. Colonel Sean Clancy recalls those bodies being brought back to Dublin. I remember when the Dublin guys they went down by boat to take Kerry, Phoenix, and apparently they misjudged the tide. And when they arrived at, in the harbour, uh, apparently they couldn't get as far in the boat, they couldn't get as far as dry land. And they were stuck in the, in the sea for I don't know how long, several hours anyhow. And then some of them tried to wade across to the dry land. And they were fired on, you know, from the mainland. And there were at least six of them killed. I remember the six of them were killed. Their bodies were brought back to Dublin. They were all Dublin men. And I I saw their remains laid out in the gymnasium in in Portobello Barracks. So it wasn't all one-sided. A member of the anti-treaty Republican Army, Dan Keating, recalls here the fighting that took place in the town of Tralee. During the Civil War, when the Free State Army arrived in Tralee, the most of the barracks, um, nearly all of it, happened to be burned down. The only place now, there are a few places standing like the officers' quarters and a few more places that escaped the blaze. I, I I was based here with uh, Paddy Buckley and Tommy Burton. Buckley was after run up in the mine in Valley City with the eight others. And uh, we were there, we were hold, just holding the, the barracks for, for the IRA at the time, we, in in all we in we had there was in all six of us uh, I I can recall at the moment I I really remember was Paddy Buckley and Paddy Barton who was from Bellarue and we were based there up to the time that the fighting against the Free State started. Where they arranged that they'd take Tralee and they decided to go by ship to Phoenix. They duly got Phoenix, which was mined by the IRA, but a local man who was appointed commandant of the Free State Army in Kerim and Horn. <coughs> he got out and he dismantled the mines. He knew they were coming. And they duly arrived. And in Tralee, when they arrived in Tralee, there was only three armed men there at the time. She and the <coughs> Strand Road men, anyway, they engaged him. And Johnny O'Connor, who was down in Farron 4 at the time. Johnny O'Connor and two more men came from Farron 4 with a loose gun and they they based themselves in the top of the old Shamrock Mills facing Rock Street. And as the Free State Army arrived around Strong Street they had already 
come along and they had tin Johnny Sullivan in Oyster Hall who was attached to the Strand Road Company. When they turned around into rocks, they were held all the time. They fought them all the time around Balloon and down along. And Johnny O'Connor then got based in Chamrock Mills and he had a fellow, Michael Colligan, a Boherby, a next Irish guardsman who had fought in the war in England, but who was at the time an Irishman. And Johnny engaged them anyway, and he he certainly commanded. Command, he, he, they admitted there were six killed, even though it was well known there were some more, and they also admitted that they had 20 wounded. But then again, they had the armour cars, they had the, the field guns, which they didn't use on that occasion, they had the armour cars. They got command, and while they were doing all that, Humphrey Murphy and some others, they were burning the barracks in Tralee. And the IRA had just to go out to the country. Guerrilla days were back again in Kerry. Free State soldier John O'Connor was stationed in Tralee during the worst of the atrocities carried out by both sides. John Joe's son, Fred, recounts here his father's memory of Ballyseedy Massacre. But first he talks about his father arriving at Fenet Pier and while marching into Tralee, witnessing the destruction of buildings by the retreating anti-treaty side. He was with the Dublin Guard. This is... With Paddy Daly. Yeah. That's him with the Sam Brown belt. Okay. And so, um, did he talk about the Civil War years? Well, he he went. He was on the Lady Wicklow, that went down to Kerry and landed at Fennis. It was after after Collins was killed that the Lady Wicklow went down to Fennis. They, excuse <coughs> me. Yeah. They come ashore and took Fennis and then start moving up the. But they were being hit up every so often, he said. But when the others were retreating, you know, a village or a town, they were born of the the uh, the houses that they were occupying. They couldn't, the army couldn't understand that, unless they thought well, we were going, that they were going to sleep in it. Yeah, you know, but they do more that? damage, he said, than. Yeah. The, the army did going in after them, but that's the time that they found it. They got the the the, uh, the local IRA crowd captured, put them in the ring. Oh yeah, yeah. That's but. Uh, what did he say about that time? Well, Dublin, his mob, the Dublin Guards that they belonged to, they were get, they were getting the blame for it. And I remember years afterwards, up in the house, in at home, something was on the. There was something on the papers about it. And my eldest brother said to the father, "She, you were there at that time, yeah." But he said, "It was the local crowd that done it." Oh, that's what you would say. So, 
I don't know how my father didn't hit him. Imagine that. But uh, when you say the local crowds, uh, yeah, what do you mean? Free State soldiers in that were from around that area. So, and was your father? Did he witness that? Was he there? Like? Yeah, he was there. They were there at the time. The reason they were rounded up was they had been tipped off that there was uh, a house, and it was supposed to be ammunition in it, and and three of the his officers of the Dublin Guard went out went out out to it, and it was booby trapped, killed him. And he says that's why there was revenge for the the lads were very annoyed with them booby trapping. So the three officers were killed. How difficult was it for your father? I mean, did did, did, did it? Do you think it it affected him in in a? Um, well, he said it was a civil war. On his, what can you do? Yeah, you know. But he said it was terrible to think that you. We were fighting against fellas that had fought alongside us with the British, against the British. But that's what made it, he reckons it made it uh, worse. There was fellas joining both sides that didn't fight against the British. There was another fellow in it there, Joe Doyle, Joe Doyle was from uh, Temple Hill, was a friend of his. He was with him. Because it was through him that I learned that my father became a sergeant. And it was through listening to him, the two of them talking one day. And and I heard Joe Doyle saying, well, that was just before you got your true, your stripes. And he was showing them a photograph, the two of them together. Who was in charge at the time? Well, Paddy Daly was there at that time, I think. And many years later, the daughter of Commander Brigadier Paddy O'Daly, Sister Philomena, came face to face with the son of one of the casualties that was blown up in Ballyseedy that time. I was doing some therapy. I was doing some training and I was in this group and we were, you know, uh, reenacting. It wasn't, it was about our, something... And I don't know what happened, but this Franc- I think it was a Franciscan priest, whatever it came up, but it turned out that his father had been killed. It was we were doing nothing about this, but you know it was something we were doing. It was counselling, and we were doing. Um, it was a group of people that yeah. were doing different things about, it, and he came up. And it was like, if you like, he was saying to me, we had to come to work through it then, the facilitator, because he was saying that it was my father that had killed his father. It, that His father was exploded. Yeah. And what was his name? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember. And I'm was, not good at remembering names. He was names. one of the men that were tied to the yeah, he was a, he was a, Yeah, he was a Franciscan priest. Yeah. He was out somewhere in Rahini. I don't know his name, but I'll never forget that. It was an awful thing to come up against something. But I mean, the facilitator then worked through it with us, you know. Lily Rye lived quite near Ballymullen Barracks 
And the morning after the Ballysidi massacre, she recalls seeing all the coffins lined up outside the barrack wall at Ballymullen Barracks. But I remember coming from school after the Ballysidi blew up. That was the Free State, was like. And after the, that happening, and we were coming from school, and we had, of course, a whole lot of since I suppose, at that time, uh, coming up Ballymullen. The coffins were there on the side, outside the barrack wall. Not made up coffins, I suppose, God love them. And the fathers and the mothers, and they were there, we stood, of course, and looking at them, and they were trying to identify their own, whatever bits and pieces they got from Belly CD inside in those coffins. Mm-hmm. That, that's facts now. They were up and down looking into this one and into that one. They were down on the wall, on the wall there across from Anthony McCarthy's God be good to him. And one man lived, you know that, the fuller man. He escaped. He he went, was blown across the say and into field and he made his way through, I think he had across the river and up through fields and he came over to some house there in Bendogonic. Some said it was a Protestant house, I don't know. Others said it was another house. But the news went around anyway and of course the IRA crowd but you could the women were coming on that time. They'd look after the boys as well, like you know. And they came along and they took him up. The man well he was in hospital afterwards. That man years more and everything was over and my granddaughter could tell you then how the distance. And she was going to school and she had a lovely voice, God bless her. She still is living now and she has a good little baby. And from the school they went in to sing in not the new hospital, the old hospital over there. And what did she sing? Put Belly C D Cross. And the man was in the bed and didn't break down and cry. And living quite near Ballysidi, where that massacre took place, were the Blennerhassett Protestant family who were farming the land there. And Frank Blennerhassett recalls in detail the land agitation going on at that time and a surprise visit to their home by the IRA who were on the run. Our cattle at that particular time were all driven off the land. They really wanted to get him. They were they were cows. They didn't touch the horses. Horses are clever animals, you know. They'd probably kick. They'd be afraid of the horses. But they, all the other cattle and uh, cows were all things like chickens and pigs and all those things. They were left alone. But they drove the cattle out the back way from onto the uh, you'd call it the Ballyahi Road. And uh, my father got up in the morning. There was no cows to be milked. They were gone. So he tracked them. You see, he knew where they went and he found they'd broken down a kind of a gap somewhere and they got onto that road. So he got on his horseback. He was a great man on horses. Mm-hmm. That's where he went around. You see, there was no motor cars. He would have to walk about here. He was a, a great man on a horse and saddle. Now, the people who did this, were they members of any organisation? No. They were the same people that were involved in the Hay incident. And then the follow-on was the story of Reddit, which I've told you. These soldiers that came 
and demanded a room for the night and myself and my younger brother we had nowhere to sleep except on the floor on a, a mattress now were, were these the republicans or oh yeah they were on the run then i heard of a fella whom we knew being shot over there near farmer's bridge and i said what's kind of all they took him off the cart or whatever and just shot him and left him on the side of the road no name is mentioned but everybody knows it you know there's a headstone there I'll tell you later. But uh, things like that would frighten you at times. But the first incident I remember was these soldiers, we were out playing around our own farmyard, you know. These soldiers ran across through the yard and disappeared. That was the first time I was aware of them. And then the follow-on was the... They came in, it must be around probably tea time or something, you know, around that. I wouldn't be sure. And there was about four of them, as far as I, well as I can remember. And they didn't look to me like the kind of guests we'd have normally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and a bit frightened, I suppose. But you just observed these things, and they had, had a good meal in the living room. My mother cooked uh, whatever she had for them. I suppose you wouldn't have a hole at that time, you know. They, they weren't used to it anyway. They were glad to get a meal. And... They took our room for the night and we were, I remember, sleeping on a kind of an improvised thing in a mattress on the floor. But, of course, children fall asleep soundly and that, you forget that, you know. Mm. Next morning then, when I got up and got dressed, they were at their breakfast. Again, my mother had been up before, because I suppose they were in a hurry to get out. And they had their breakfast. Didn't say, I didn't hear any conversation (laughs) <laughs> my mother worked away and gave them their breakfast and they picked up their guns which were standing against the wall and how were they dressed can you remember uh, I thought they were rather grey well that I'm not too sure of they wouldn't be dressed like uh, soldiers you'd see normally you know they were rather shabbily dressed I thought but the boots I thought were very un- <laughs> dirty I remember that but they didn't talk to us at all well, you see, this family lived near us, just a field away, like, it wouldn't be much farther than across to the house over there. Yeah. And we knew them fairly well, and we were friendly with them and all that. Who were they? What was the name of the family? Well, their name was Lean. Yeah, it changed after that, because he was the, the um, I suppose, the eldest son, I don't know, and they had a, a brother, a priest, who was staying with them after that anyway. I'll tell you that later. But uh, we heard that they were following him very close and he was able to beat them every time, you know, until the other incident then. We heard that next morning. What exactly happened? What did you Well, of course, I wasn't there. You only overhear the conversation. Parents talking about the neighbour being shot, you see, and some other chap with him and so on. That's about it. Canmare in County Kerry was another town that suffered greatly during those months of the Civil War. And here, Dan Keating recalls the bitter fighting that went on in that town and the killing of the two brothers, the Scartine O'Connors. Kerry number two, they engaged the Free State Army who were based in Canmare under Commandant O'Connor, who had joined the Free State Army. The diary under John Joe Rice attacked the post 
and uh, in the course there was the, the O'Connors were based in their own place together there was four two O'Connors John and Tom I think were their names and Christy Moriarty and I forget Thorfellum but two men got in anywhere and they ordered them to put up their hands and the O'Connors went under the pillow for their revolvers and they were shot dead and Christy Moriarty got out and he got over to the barracks anyway and they surrendered the barracks to the IRA and there you Diary took the barracks and everything, they captured all the equipment and everything at the time. And they, when they had it taken, they fanned out to the country again. And they, 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 oh, there was consternation over the death of the two O'Connors, which, if they had put up their hands, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, the two men that killed him were... One of them was known as Sailor Dan Healy, and uh, the other man, Looney. Looney was killed after in the fight in Killarland, and uh, Healy was captured. And the man that captured him uh, knew him, and he decided anyway that he'd take him as quickly as he took him to Limerick. Because if he stayed around Kinmere, there no doubt he'd have been he'd have been executed by the free staters. They were at the time they were they were very very bitter at the time. In the course of some weeks, anyway, Sailor Dan, who was stationed in Limerick, and they were conveying a number of them to the camp in the tin town number one in the Corum. Uh, Healy got going in another man's name and arrived in the country in in the camp under a false name. But there was a, a section, particularly women, in Kinmere who were very bitter and they wanted it right go wrong that the perpetrator should be tried for murder. And Kevin O'Higgins at the time, at the time he, he was a great, all for law and, and he was nearly prepared to do it. And they, 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 they held an identification an identification parade in the Curry camp and in the two carry huts on one side they had uh, a man by the name Galvin and on the other side they had uh, Christy Moriarty who had escaped when the Connors were killed and every man was marched out through this brigade and sailor down to their credit passed him and they never recognized him and he escaped and speech said that Eamon Horn and the free state officers that were with him in Kerry with the possible exception of one maybe now they never same must be said a Con Brosnan anywhere he was prisons weren't ill treated and no one was murdered
That's fascinating. Common Amon were very active in Kerry during the Civil War. Rosalie Rice was a member of Common Amon in Kenmare, and she played a very active part during that time. Here, her daughter, Eleanor, recalls her story. They played a big part because they well, they backed up the men and they they um they backed up the men and they were there for them and mended their clothes and got them you know sent them food and all that kind of thing you know and they knew where they were and knew all the different things but they never said a word you know they knew it uh, was. You see, before the Civil War, they they all um, trained and did manoeuvres and all sorts of things. And she was out in Tubrid, outside Kinmare, way out there. And they were with my uncle, the Scartines, training. So they knew where where he was. And the IRA knew that they'd lead them to... They knew too much. They knew all the movements and everything, you see. And they knew too much, and that's why they eliminated them. Because they knew everything. Yeah. You see, they were all together. And they knew all the haunts, and they knew all the safe, safe houses. They knew everything. And when the split came, then, you see, then they had all that information. Mm-hmm. So that's why they were eliminated. Many members of the anti-treaty side were arrested, including Rosalie Rice. My grandmother got permission to visit her daughter in the Great Southern Hotel. While they were waiting to transport them to Tralee, they lodged them there. You know. So the bearer, Mrs Rice, and they say local hospital, because that was the hospital near Kilmurray, has permission to visit her daughter in Great Southern Hotel. And it's signed by... A man Crowley, the commander of the OC troops, can mayor. And that was the 15th of December 1922. While they were imprisoned inside in Tralee, yeah. they made their own little Christmas cards. They did, they did, yeah. They painted them. And, and we have two of them here. Yeah. Yeah, just, um, I don't know who wrote this. Greetings is remembrance. I wonder... Sean O'Sullivan, whoever, far dearer the grave or the prison, illumined by Patriot's name, than the trophies of all who have risen on the liberty's ruins to fame. It's just a little piece of paper, and it says a happy 1923 New Year from Ballymullen Jail, Tralee County, Kerry. Little bells on it and dots, and then there's a piece inside with this verse on it, and on the back there's more bells and two flags, and they have IRA, a little shamrock, in 1923 another shamrock, and little cross flags and United written on them. We've come to the end of the Civil War in Kerry, and all the full-length recordings of the voices that you've been listening to are available on our website irishlifeandlore.com My name is Maurice O'Keefe and I look forward again to bringing you another podcast next week. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.